Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Uncorked with Funny Wine Girl. This is Funny Wine Girl, aka Janine Luby. And uh, this week I'm talking to a woman who's going to address a really uh, important topic that whether you're in the field or the industry or not, we're all touched by it. Healthcare, healthcare workers, uh, the strain and stress that they have been under, especially since the pandemic, uh, what, what has happened. And, uh, it's, it's not an easy, uh, I don't think it's an easy topic because there's so many moving parts, but it's important that we look at the people and, and the people that we rely on. And we've relied on so much that are under a lot of strain, um, you know, for a variety of reasons. So we'll talk about that. Um, uh, get to talk about a couple other issues because my guest is also involved in politics. Uh, she does not think of herself as interesting, but I do. I, she said, I don't know. I don't see myself as interesting, which is funny. I was thinking of that as I was taking a very short run this morning. I think probably the people who think they're so interesting are probably not half as interesting as they think they are. Meanwhile, other people are out there just doing stuff for the good of the world, environment, people next to them. That's the stuff I want to talk about, quite frankly, because they are interesting. So my guest this morning, I always start off every week and I tell you how I know my guest and I, here's why. And you've probably heard me say it a million times. Well, maybe that's an exaggeration, maybe not a million, but I think it is so important that we are open to getting to know people and re being kind to people, which is first and foremost, because then throughout life, people will remember whether you are an asshole or not. And they'll remember, you know, oh, let's, let's talk, let's have a coffee. Let's maybe I can help you, or maybe you can help me. And it's not just about what you can get, but also giving. And so I think it's so important. We're, we're open to meeting new people, going out to events, whether it's political, whether it's business, whether it's a hobby and learning from one another and keeping those contacts. So Jen, Jennifer Graham Partika is someone she's uh, like Jenny from the block. I'll say uh, we both grew up in North Scranton, uh, you know, and I'll admit as a kid, I don't remember Jen, but then uh, we definitely had this connection in North Scranton. She's been supportive of me when I did a book and I, that came out in 2010 about dating humor. And she was so kind and got a copy and she's been supportive in that way. But she also uh, will talk about her career as a nurse uh, and the stress and strain that they go under. And she was kind enough to bring me in to provide some laughter yoga, uh, to her morning staff. And yes, I think it was six in the morning, an ungodly off uh, time of, of day, but they have to be on and working. So I came in, did some laughter yoga. Uh, I did it with the mask on, which was different for me, but I still feel that it worked. Uh, I still feel that her staff got something out of it, but I really appreciate it that she believed in the power of laughter and brought me in. So without further ado, let me welcome my guest this week. Jennifer Graham Partika. Good morning, Jen. How are you? Good morning. I am well. How are you, lady? I'm doing all right. Doing all right. You know, living the dream uh, as we all are. No, I say the that sarcastically. Persists, but so do we. <laughs> that's right. That's right. I say that sarcastically, but I am. I mean, you know, there are struggles in life. We all have them, but I'm happy to keep plugging away. Um, and so I first want to start off because the healthcare thing, and I say thing, and I don't mean to minimize it, it's it's big and it's it's so tiered and there's so much to it. But before we get into that stuff, I just want uh, my listeners to learn a little bit about you. Um, and I know I, I was teasing because you said before about not being interesting. I think, my gosh, you're an advocate. You know, all these people that we had coffee a week ago and she's like, oh, let me hook you up with this person. Oh, what is, what's your concern? Let me hook you up with this person. You're someone who is connected. And I'm guessing 
though you don't burn bridges because you're not an asshole. I, I say that half kiddingly, but let's face it. Our integrity goes with us wherever we go. And people remember this. Um, but I think you're interesting. Share whatever it is that you want to share about yourself personally before we talk about uh, your your profession. Sure. So I, 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 again, just think I'm just like everybody else. So I'm a wife. Um, I'm a mom to three grown kids, grown and flown, um, and one stepson who is in college, uh, and, and three rescue pets. Um, I love to rescue. And by profession, I am a registered nurse. Um, I am an active registered, registered nurse. I serve on the board of directors for the Pennsylvania State Nurses Association. Um, I serve on the board of trustees for the Nursing Foundation of Pennsylvania. I am the Glenburn Township Auditor. <laughs> uh, I am a poll worker for the elections. Um, I do all I can as a Democrat um, to help uh, make sure that, you know, people who are, you know, maybe like, I guess what I want to say is that people retain the rights that they currently have, you know, my gay friends and family can continue to get married and live wonderful lives the way they're supposed to, you know, women who require reproductive health care can continue to receive reproductive health care um, the way that they and their doctors decide to do so. So a lot of the things that I prioritize um, are things that I've learned are issues, uh, not necessarily through my own life, right? Because I, you know, I am literally what a Karen looks like, <laughs> you know, I am a, a frumpy white middle-aged lady who doesn't really have, you know, hasn't really had a lot of challenges that a lot of other people have, but um, I've learned a lot from my patients. I've learned a lot from meeting people kind of in amid crises and, you know, understanding uh, what, what the reality of, of life, you know, amid some of these uh, socioeconomic issues or, or um, you know, political issues might look like when they're manifested in, in, in a crisis. So. Okay. All right. I'm going to say this just because you brought it up. I I'm so sick of the phrase, Karen, though, I got to say, <laughs> no, I know just because I we like her though. Yeah. We use <laughs> no, but there's no, but see, and that's how you, you know, I, I, I just think it minimizes what you do. And I mean, again, we don't know how these struggles other people go through, but I always think of the Alan McBeal episode. I'm not going to apologize because I haven't lived your life. I didn't choose to be born the way I was born and I'm living my life. Yes, we need to do more if we can do more, but I won't apologize or feel bad for that. And I feel, I see, I sense that sometimes I see it with younger people on TikTok or Instagram, like, Oh, I'm sorry. I was born white. I'm like, yeah, that's just going away. That's honestly, it's actually, I don't see how it even helps, but anyway, no, the mm -hmm. Karen term is just one of my things because it came about, it's funny. And it's not funny. It came about during the pandemic or it grew to popularity because that one woman, I remember Central Park. I don't think that term should be used for someone who's racist and also someone who just wants to send their meat back because it's not cooked properly. You know what I mean? I feel like we're doing that, but we do that a lot in society, um, which I wasn't going to necessarily jump right into this, but since I'm talking about words and how they're used before we hit the record button, I said, let's talk about your change in role in, in healthcare because of burnout. And, and let's talk about that. So you were, uh, and I want you to talk about your career, but the burnout term, we've been using that a lot. Uh, there's a lot of terms we use, and I will say, I don't think they're off often or always used with any ill intent. I really sure. don't. I think it's mm -hmm. usually lack of knowledge. Um, mm -hmm. maybe not even thinking of the word, but as we talked about burnout, 
as you mentioned smartly or astutely that that puts the blame kind of on the person, the nurse, like, like it's their fault when it's not. So let's talk a little bit about that, like what it's been like and, and maybe how we can look at that differently. It's not the, the nurse's fault that the system is doing what it's doing and they're quote unquote burnt out. It's just too much for them to handle and they shouldn't have to handle. Yeah. And, and I, so it's funny. So I graduated from nursing school um, and by nursing school, I mean uh, the university of Scranton um, with my bachelor's degree in nursing in 1995. So the entirety of, of that education um, while I was, while I was in school, we all understood that we would be facing, you know, in the 2020s, we were going to be facing the idea that we were going to have a mass exodus of nurses, right? We all knew this. We, the baby boomers who who really you know made up most of the um, you know experienced skilled you know nursing workforce was going to be retiring. They were facing their sixties and seventies right around this time. We all knew that we were going to have a staffing crisis. Um, did we do anything different? Not really. So we took that staffing anticipated staffing crisis where we really did not make things better um, in those you know twenty five years. We added to that a global pandemic. So now maybe the maybe the baby boomer who was going to, you know, wait a couple of years to retire is like, forget it. I'm not doing this anymore. I'm not running into this burning building anymore. You know, uh, at the time, you know, the big, very beginning of the pandemic, we did not have the vaccine. We did not have PPE. You know, we were reusing. You know, I'll never forget when when President Trump went on TV and said, you know, there's there's liquids. There's liquids you can use, you know, and, and I'm like, these are disposable paper, <laughs> you know, N95 masks. So, so wouldn't, you know, it two months later, we're using liquids, you know, to disinfect and, and, and reprocess paper disposable N95 masks being forced to do so by the department of health, because honestly, there was no supply. There just wasn't a supply. So if I'm somebody who I have the option to retire, like I'm totally retired, like I'm not doing this with the, like, it was just an absolute cluster. Um, in Pennsylvania, we did our darndest to, um, you know, Pennsylvania State Nurses Association, the nurses of Pennsylvania, the unions, everybody would, you know, we had these, these established phone calls with the Department of Health and, and, uh, you know, they, they would blow us off, you know, we weren't getting, we weren't getting what we needed. So if I had the opportunity to re retire during all that, I might have done so. Instead, I got promoted. <laughs> so now I'm in charge of some of this messaging, which is incredibly inconsistent and, um, you know, really changes every day and, and, you know, changes depending on who you're talking to. And it was, it was nobody's fault. You know, it's not anybody's fault. We were all doing the very best we could. In the meantime, we were facing, you know, very, mentally, emotionally, you know, physically exhausting um, scenarios at work. And, uh, you know, really feeling like there wasn't a lot of places to turn because it was just a very chaotic time. So, so we did, we lost our, we lost a lot of the workforce. We got a lot of the workforce who just would not work in that system anymore. Um, and I guess, I guess, the thing that is most important to me when I talk about nurse burn burnout is, is again, the terminology. So when we say this, oh, that nurse is burned out, it's, it's, it's not really like that term puts the onus of the problem, which is systemic on that nurse. And it's funny, I, one of my colleagues from Pennsylvania State Nurses Association said, 
we don't use that term. You know, he was very clear about the fact that we do not use that term. And, and it's through nobody's fault. I mean, that's that, that term exists, you know, it's, but overall, it's just important to note the systems failure. Um, we have more nurses now in the United States than we've ever had in our entire lives, right? And more registered licensed nurses in the entire United States, but we have very few that are willing to continue to run into that burning building. And, and, maybe, and there's probably a lot of reasons for it. You know, there's never been a shift in nursing that has worked for a working mom. You know, there's never been, you know, you know, in California they have ratios, but it's never been, you know, a really established set of rules that keeps you as a frontline nurse from maybe facing a, an assignment that is incredibly daunting, you know, and, and where you, you might be placed in a situation where, you know, two patients are circling the drain at the same time, you know, there's never really been a, a layer of protection. So there's just a lot fewer nurses that are willing to do that. Um, so you mentioned me and I'll just tell you that I, so I was uh, an operations manager um, for an inpatient unit uh, during the pandemic. I certainly, I, I did my time. I served, you know, my community. Um, I care very much about my community, uh, but the 24 seven nature of running an inpatient 24 seven unit was, was just a lot. I had the opportunity to step away for a cushy little work from home job. Um, but I will tell you that the guilt of knowing that I can do I can take care of patients. Like I can do this. I, I have a master's degree um, in caring for patients. So that guilt still keeps me at the bedside once a week. Like I'm still going in and moonlighting. I'm working like 50 hours a week just because I, I know that this is what, you know, I've, I've always wanted to be a nurse. Um, I don't want to turn my back on patients, but I also know that like I did my time, I did everything I could for my community. And, and I think it's okay just to step away for just a little bit and maybe focus on what I need to get through, you know, my days. So 24 seven for three years is it's too much to ask of anybody. I don't know how people are still doing it. So God bless every single nurse who's still doing it. Every single nurse manager who's still doing it. Um, it has not been easy and, uh, and it's not your fault. So. And I think a lot of people need to hear that. And I mean, ultimately, like you said, you don't know how they're doing it you know, in a realistic fashion, there's only so much they can physically do right. Or at some point they are going to break or they're going to get sick themselves. And that's, that's, you know, then, then that's not going to help either. Um, so I want to ask two things and you can answer, um, either of them, whatever order you'd like. I do follow what you post on LinkedIn and you are very passionate and you, you always, and I don't know the, I forget, I'll probably mess up the phrase, but, um, is it patient rights or nurse rights or patient rights or nurse advocacy is patient advocacy. Oh, yeah. My hashtag. <laughs> Your hashtag. Yes. Yeah. And it makes sense if you, you know, I mean, sometimes we, we, we think of the first layer first, but sometimes we don't sit and think, think obviously the patient can only get the best care if the nurse is, you know, in the best place, if they're getting what they need and, and aren't exhausted. And that makes perfect sense. Um, so I guess my quite, I have two questions. I want to get to what drew you into this profession, because it is a very caring, you have to be a caring individual, but obviously caring, but someone who's also able to not get attached literally to everyone, or you'd be, I mean, my gosh, I can't imagine. So I want to ask you what drew you into this. And then, but I also want to ask, like I said, I follow what you post on LinkedIn and you've kind of written about some things that you believe are solutions or things to improve the system, to make it better for nurses, which will make it better for patients. So um, whichever one you want to answer first, I want to make sure we talk about both. Sure. You got it. Um, 
So I come from a family where if you don't work for the post office, you're a nurse. <laughs> so these are my, like my role models have been, have been, you know, blue collar, you know, hardworking kind of people who are active members and they're serving the community in some, you know, way, shape or form. Um, and, and it's funny with my, my grandmother was like, she was so cute. She was from Alabama. She had this Southern drawl. She moved up here with my grandfather, like never lost her Southern drawl and, and just took care of everybody. She had six kids. Um, what my, I have an aunt who's uh, mentally disabled. And so she had to be a mom her whole life. On top of that, she took care of every single one of, you know, her six kids, her 14 grandchildren. Um, like I said, my aunt who has never really, you know, matured past four years old. Um, and, and she was such an amazing example. Like, I love her. I'm actually establishing a scholarship in her name um, for the Nursing Foundation of Pennsylvania. She was just the cutest lady in the whole world. So I feel like I had that example. I feel also like I understood some, like my, my, she was granny. So granny would tell stories about like patients she took care of. And I just, I just remember thinking like, she's so wise. Like she understands so many things about people. And, and, you know, that's, I alluded earlier to the idea that, you know, the patients in crisis, like, like you're really meeting a patient kind of, you know, at, during one of the worst times of their lives, you know, um, and, and maybe it isn't that dramatic for every patient, but for some patients, it really is, you know, um, uh, especially now I work at, you know, one of the only functioning hospitals in our area, um, and it's a trauma center. And so we really are meeting people who have just had the worst day of their lives, you know, and then we're also meeting people who, you know, we just think, oh, we're going to write you a prescription. You're going to go home. Well, maybe they don't have a home. Maybe they don't have money to get the prescriptions. Maybe their wound is never going to heal because they don't have enough protein in their diet because they're have food insecurity. You know, there's just so many things that being a nurse, you're privy to so many important things to understand um, about humanity and, and, you know, the things that, that people have to deal with. And I just think nurses are just the best, some of the best people in the whole world. And I will never stop believing that because um, you're not in it for the money, <laughs> you know, um, you're not in it for the glory. You're certainly not in it because it's easy work. You know, they're just nurses are the best. And my hashtag is nurse advocacy is patient advocacy because I've never met a nurse who wants something for herself or himself. I've, all, I've only met nurses who are you know, opening their mouths on behalf of their patients. You know, they're saying, listen, I need this so I can take care of your patient better, take care of this patient better. I need this because this patient needs this, you know? So I really just believe that we are the number one trusted profession in America, 22 years going. Um, but there's a reason for that. You know, nurses are so smart and so skilled and, you know, we require so much education. We require like literally, you know, every year, you know, you have to, there's just minimum base, you know, stuff that you need to know to continue to perform as an, they're some of the smartest people that you're ever going to meet. We, we teach every resident how to not kill a patient. <laughs> we teach like, you know, like it's just, we are your frontline people and, and, um, you know, very much like teachers, you know, a lot of women, women dominated professions don't really get, you know, what they need out of, uh, the systems they work for, you know, so um, being a nurse advocate is something that's incredibly important to me. And I feel like, you know, at 28 years later, um, you know, I, I know a thing or two, and I'm going to do everything I can to make sure that the, the, the tough times that I had as a nurse that absolutely did not need to happen. I'm going to open my mouth about, you know, and, and it's never, it's never an us against them thing. Like, I, I feel like, hey, administration, like, 
I, I would like for you to listen to me and I want to help you understand what it is that we're, and how can we work together? But like, I'm not trying to stir the pot without, you know, without really finding a solution. I want to find a solution, you know? So I don't want it to be like this for, for the kit, for the, you know, the nurses coming up behind me. And um, I forget the other question you had. Was it, was it about community involvement? Yeah. Well, you, um, I think you kind of answered it, but I know uh, one of your posts and I, I won't know the full gist of it, but it was a long post that I did read about some of your ideas as far as what I wish I could, I I'm sorry, I didn't go back and look, but you were That's kind of okay. like suggesting like how to make things better. Um, uh, you know, yeah. I mean, cause obviously you've been in the front lines and you know, and it's not an easy solution for any of this. Um, but there were suggestions just to make it better, so, uh, for the nurses. So, I mean, like, you know, like we talked about the women who are men who've been doing it for so long, they're exhausted and maybe not having enough people. And if we don't have enough healthcare workers, that's a big problem for people who yeah. need care. Um, but I, for, it was something specific that you were just suggestions that you were making about things yeah. that can possibly be looked at to, to tweak in the system, to make it better. Sure. So we have, um, we have on in the Pennsylvania in Harrisburg right now, we have a uh, patient safety act, which is, uh, these are safe staffing ratios. Um, and, and I guess what I want to say about it is like, that's amazing. Like we would be, we would be one of two States in the whole United States that would have maybe a staffing mandate when it comes to acute care for patients, depending on the level of care that they require. You know, if the patient's in the ICU, the, the ratio is one to two, you know, if the patient's in a med surge unit the ratio is one to four, you know, um, those are some, you know, Linda Aiken at the University of Pennsylvania did a lot of studies about what are safe staffing, safe staffing ratios. Um, and we, we proposed a bill. <clears throat> it's about 15, I think maybe 18 years in the making. Um, it's taken that long to get it through the house. It's now sitting in the Senate. Um, but Linda Aiken has done a lot of research about, you know, what additional patients um, mean in, in terms of, uh, you know, mortality, morbidity, um, things like that, things that can be measured. Um, so it, it's very evidence-based, you know, it's an evidence-based proposal. And you know, like I said, the House uh, went for it. It's sitting in the Senate. Hopefully it will pass. Um, and then in the midst of that, you know, having been a manager for, you know, since 2016 in an official capacity before that, it's funny when you're an RN, you take on a lot of um, leadership roles unofficially. So like I've been charge nurse, I've been relief house supervisor. I've been, you know, you, you take all of these roles that aren't really official roles, but um, all of nursing staffing, you know, we have, we have consultant companies that our hospital systems will pay a lot of money to bring in to tell us how to save money. And it's always cuts in the front lines, right? Because what they do is they'll look at um, your productivity for your past patients. So two weeks ago, my productivity was 86%. Um, so if I want to replace uh, you know, a healthcare role, I'm gonna have to look at that productivity report and say, like, okay, I, you know, whatever, whatever your system decides is the is the is the number, the minimum number you have to be at, you know, maybe it's 95%. You need to be in the 95th percentile to replace that position. But maybe it's September, and I know that by December, every single bed in my unit is gonna be full. You know, like. So you're, you're basically staffing for the past. You're staffing for your past patients. So all of my, you know, uh, you know, pitches, which are, of course are not, you know, it's just, I'm asking people to think about it differently. I'm asking people to possibly start thinking about staffing for the future patient because, um, you know, Janine and I are from Scranton. So in Scranton, we have 
no hospitals left. We have, we have no hospital beds, you know, they're just, our hospital beds have gone, you know, from, from Mid Valley and Marion community and Tyler Memorial and a full staff, a full, you know, fully staffed hospital at Moses Taylor and a fully staffed hospital at, you know, regional to much, much less, you know, Mid Valley's closed. Marion's closed. We've closed significant units at regional. So we don't even have an ER at Moses anymore. Um, Tyler Memorial's closed. That was Wyoming County. So everybody, we, we have so many fewer beds. Um, I think we can pretty much staff for the fact that we should, we should be assuming that every one of our beds is full kind of all the time and we should staff appropriately for it. So I call it the Graham staffing model, <laughs> uh, hashtag Graham staffing model, but it's basically staffing for the future patient, which I think, you know, when, when you're an RN, and I have the opportunity to maybe, you know, do anything other than work in a hospital where I might get sued and where I might be facing, you know, really high patient ratios, you know, you can do anything else. But, but if I knew as an RN that I'm going to walk into a hospital and I'm going to have a safe staffing scenario and I'm going to, I'm going to get a lunch and I'm going to get a break, you know, like these are things that we can do for each other um, to maybe make that acute care setting a little bit more attractive um, to the nurses who really are making the choice not to work in that environment. So I don't know. It's it's just that we have to, I feel like, I feel like until we solve that problem, nurses are going to continue to find reasons not to work at that in that in those front lines at the bedside. So um, and that's really a detriment to our entire community, which is, you know, my parents live here, your parents live here. <laughs> like yeah. I don't that. I don't want that for anybody. Um, I certainly don't want it for my parents. That's not why I became an RN. Um, so, so anyway, Graham, that's, you mentioned some, some really so interesting as you were talking, I'm thinking about like, uh, the, you know, there's a lot of data behind this. I remember I spent, and I forgot to mention, I spent 10 years working at Blue Cross and I was, um, in the communications department, but I did get to work with a lot of nurses because, um, I did, thankfully I didn't do the dry benefits. I was more, you know, health management, disease management, quality, quality improvement, quality assurance. So I got to write really like good stuff, like encouraging people to get mammograms and to eat right and go for walks and, you know, to get their diabetes managed and all that good stuff. But I also worked with the nurses who had to do all that data for like the national committee of quality assurance and all that. Um, and I'm thinking of that when you were talking about all the numbers, right. And of course, and I, I don't want to sound pessimistic, but the more I live as my 52 years, I find so much is just about money. I mean, almost everything in life. And I'm not saying most people, because I know, you know, we're good people who want to do good things, but a lot comes down to the bottom line, almost everything. Um, and so with those numbers, you're not seeing the person, you're not seeing the patient, you're not seeing the nurses, the human side of things, which is probably where it gets difficult. Um, you also mentioned the closing of all these hospitals. That's scary. Uh, that's real scary. I mean, how are we functioning? And maybe you don't know the answer to that. And it, it's going to bridge into our next conversation about politics. I mean, is this on the, uh, the radar for folks to go? Uh, yeah, people are going to die. Well, God bless people like, you know, Bridget Kozarowski and, and Jim Haddock and, you know, Matt Cartwright, who listened to me kind of talk about these issues because, and and so I will tell you in, in very much in reference to what you're saying about how it all comes down to the money. Like, I'm not going to say it is not important for a hospital to be financially healthy because this is the situation we're facing when they're not. 
you know, um, I, I feel like I, I understand that my, my master's degree is, is as a nurse executive. And so I've taken, you know, it's kind of like a, uh, an MSN and M MBA kind of rolled up into one. So I understand the business side of, of keeping your hospitals financially healthy. I also understand that in order to do that, you need to make sure that there are not closed units in your hospital. You can't close units because of staffing. You can't treat your staff so badly that nobody wants to work for you. And then close your units because of staffing and then blame nurses when you go under. Like it's not, we have we have specifically, um, nah, I don't want to get, I don't want to get in trouble for, <laughs> for, okay. okay. For bad mouthing a hospital, you know, but yes, <laughs> some very mismanaged systems in Northeastern Pennsylvania. And, and it has caused, you know, the staffing crisis that, that they're looking at. Nobody wants to work for that system because you treat nurses really badly. Um, so, uh, so the financial health of, of our hospitals is incredibly important. I, I just think there's different ways to create that financial health, you know, and certainly being incredibly good to your staff and, and so much so that they're not going to leave. You're not going to have turnover. You're not going to have, you know, frontline people who don't want to work for you because they question your ethics or they question your business practices or um, they question, you know, the way, uh, you know, the, the future of your organization, you know, um, you, you need that financial health. But in the meantime, uh, I continue to try to ask uh, our, our representatives to consider that maybe their advocacy on, on behalf of patients would, would be helpful as well. You know, it, it can't just continually be the nurses saying, hey, listen, we have a solution. You know, we, we understand this system or this problem and we want to help. You know, it, it's, it's important that maybe some of the people with with the actual roles in government, um, you know, do a little bit of that advocacy as well. So we're always grateful. You know, Bridget Kozarowski is amazing because she's an RN who understands totally what we're talking about um, and understands the needs of patients. Um, but, you know, she's one voice. You know, we have another uh, nurse practitioner, Tarek Khan. Um, we have, a, I believe, an LPN in the Senate. Um, but all of that is incredibly important. So, uh, Thank you, anybody who's listening to me. Um, I promise we know what we're talking about. Um, so thank you for continuing to consider our input. When we met for coffee last week, you were we were talking a little bit about this stuff. And like you made the point of like a lot of times, especially in politics, uh, legislators and that making these decisions that they don't have a damn clue about basically, which, I mean, I think many of us can guess that like, you know, the, the, the male politicians telling women what they can and can't do with their bodies, which is pretty much exactly what's happening right now, but they don't understand even the cost of things or how things work. And, and really, I don't think the average person, and I'm going to say this to everyone listening, make sure you do vote and think and I'm not saying you have to know everything, but learn a little bit. And I completely say I am ignorant. I need to know much more, truly. And there's no way we can know everything. But think about that when you do vote, because these folks are making decisions that impact our lives and not not just our lives, but the people we love. Um, and, and they don't know. I mean, we were, we were having this conversation. They don't know how things work. Uh, and that's, that's kind of, that's scary actually. So it is important that people, if they're not in a political role, like the folks you're mentioning, that they at least open their doors to have, have folks who are in healthcare come in and educate them or at least raise awareness. And that hopefully is happening. It, you know, is that happening, Jen? Sure. So, um, I serve on the Pennsylvania State Nurses Association, uh, uh, government relations committee and their political action committee. And, and I also am a legislative ambassador for them. So um, 
we serve as resources for legislators who are, you know, we, we review the legislation um, that they're, you know, that they, they're be, they'll be voting on. You know, we get a lot of stuff out of the uh, health committee, health and human services committee. Um, but we have an opportunity to look at that and weigh in and say, okay, we, you know, we support this. We, we actually um, maybe don't want to take a position on this piece of legislation or we, uh, we oppose this legislation and this is why. Um, it gives us an opportunity to reach out to them. Um, and, and I will tell you that I have given my number to literally every local politician. Um, they do reach out when, when like maybe there's testimony needed. Um, maybe uh, we had a, a democratic, uh, democratic um, traveling convention, traveling committee can't come to Northeastern Pennsylvania. I was able to talk a little bit to them. We had a Republican committee um, who invited us to come talk to them about safe staffing, Patient Safety Act. Um, you know, th these are bipartisan things because when you're a patient, it doesn't matter. Like it doesn't matter what your what your party is. Like you, there's one way out of this universe, right? And like you're probably going to need a nurse somewhere along the way. You're probably going to need you know, acute care, you might end up needing chronic care, you know, um, you, there's no way, there's one way out and it includes a stop along the way requiring, you know, where you're going to need healthcare. So I think that I've been incredibly lucky that, like I said, people have reached out. Um, I, I will say that a lot of people, the people I wish would reach out, aren't really doing that. Um, I do, uh, try to connect when I see, you know, opportunities for education. Uh, you know, it's funny you mentioned, you know, some of the things that you hear and see. <laughs> like in 2017, I remember like watching all of these like, you know, YouTube clicks, clips about, you know, these older white senators, house, you know, representatives in Washington, D.C. talking about women's bodies. And I'm, I mean, it was funny. It was funny how little they understood, you know. You know, if a woman's raped, your body, their body shut that whole thing down. You know, like there, there was just so many things being said that are categorically not true. <laughs> you know, so many opportunities for education that, um, that I think that that's what sparked kind of my outrage. Like, like, are you smarter than a fifth grader? No, you're not, because your fifth grader understands that the stuff that you're saying is not true. Like, otherwise, they'd fail their biology tests. You know, so um, there's a lot of a lot of people out there saying a lot of things that are categorically not true. Um, I try to reach out to those people if I catch them, you know, but the onus is not certainly, you know, it, it isn't my response. It's all of us. You know, if we all have, if we all see things that we are not liking, you know, um, their job is to represent us, you know, so I will always remain uh, an educational resource, but also, you know, if you're asking me for my opinion, I'm going to tell you my opinion. <laughs> and, um, and if I disagree with you, I, I'm going to have reasons why I don't, you know, why I disagree with you, because uh, some things are simply not, you know, op opinions, you know, there's, there's certain things that are just categorically not true. So um, I try to seize those opportunities and, and, you know, correct people where I can, um, when it comes to things that affect my patients. And that's important. And last week I had on, um, uh, Republican uh, PA state Senator Rosemary Brown. And part of our conversation was about information and information on social media and, and the facts. And, you know, yes. this wasn't a partisan conversation where we're talking about anything, you know, particular party or whatever, but just information. And, you know, you mentioned it's not, you know, it's not on you to go out and correct everyone. I would say, and this is what I had said to her last week, like, I would just remind people that the onus is on us to be educated because, 
there is too much misinformation. And it's great that we have people like you who are advocates and who are saying, excuse me, no, that's not truthful. Let me help educate you. So where we can educate, I think that's important, but I think what's more important because, you know, we've gotten, I I don't mind saying I'm not, you know, I'm just saying this myself. This is how I feel. We've gotten very uh, lazier to a degree and, and dumber uh, in this country because we we're, we're sitting resting on our laurels and taking information a lot of times that's not real and it's not factual. And we pass it along because, you know, some people actually believe some of the things that they read in memes are true and they're forgetting the difference between truth and humor or like, you know, and in facts and humor, I should say. And and we won't go into how that whole big mess started or whatever, but I just want to remind people, and I used to say to this to my students when I taught at King's uh, part-time, we need to do a little more research. We've gotten lazy. Just because you see an article, it could be like bullshit.com is the name of the website. And you're like, do you know? It's like, no, 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 no. That's not a good source. Yes. You know, like for me, health wise, when I look at stuff, I trust things like the Mayo Clinic, Harvard, right. you know, Harvard Review, Forbes, uh, you know, um, you know, Johns Hopkins, like, you know, organizations that I feel are trusted, you know, and CDC, you know, I mean, other people might say, oh, I don't trust the government, whatever. But I mean, you do have to be careful that onus is on us. Don't be spreading misinformation. Or if you read something, if you can't find a real good source, reach out to someone like you and say, is this true? And Mm -hmm. I think we need to be doing a hell of a lot more of that. I I always refer people also to (laughs) scholar.google.com, you know, um, peer reviewed, you know, there's just so many, so many things, especially like in the midst of, uh, you know, the vaccine conversations, you know, like I, I literally, I'm a big fan of scholar.google.com. Um, you can, you can find, I almost feel like you can find science to tell you anything that you want to believe, but on scholar.google.com, if you're, you know, if you're parsing out your, your most recent studies, your, your peer reviewed studies, you know, there are some filters you can put on that, that, that will absolutely give you like, it'll give you kind of like the raw truth. Um, you can, you know, cite the sources like you explained, like Mayo Clinic, Johns Hopkins, you know, a lot of those are amazing resources for, um, for medical information, you know, Um, and then, and then, you know, your news sources, you know, you find a news source that you trust, you know, think about, think about who's going to like, who's invested in this, you know, And, and I love like NPR, you know, like, but because I think, you know, it's public radio, it's, it's, you know, it's not, there's no real, you know, corporate entity that's, you know, benefiting from stuff that's coming out of NPR. So, so whatever it is that you, that you decide you're going to trust, you know, just, just make sure that you, you understand why you trust that site, you know? Um, and that goes beyond, of course, you know, healthcare, it's, it's, it's all of it. And, and, you know, I think living through the disinformation that we all experienced um, during COVID uh, and, and maybe even, you know, previous to that was, you know, the, the election before that was, was, um, you know, very disheartening because we are in the age we are, we live in an age where like every piece of truth is at our fingertips. Like, why are we choosing to believe things that we have? We, you know, that number one, if you really think about them, don't make any sense, but number two, we can disprove in, in, in one more click, you know? <laughs> so, um, I do. I agree with you. We are responsible to make sure that what what's coming out of our mouths and what we're posting on social media is actually, you know, true. So, yeah, I don't think people understand the power. Um, and you know, it's, 
and again, I know, I don't think it's ever done with an ill intent, but I think it's, we've become kind of a little bit, it's a little bit, it's lazier, you know, I mean, and I would see that even with students, like they wouldn't use good sources or they would just pick the first thing they clicked on or didn't want to spend time. And it's like, if it matters to you or it matters to someone you love or whatever, like getting the right information is, is the right thing to do it. And especially if you're going to share it, don't, don't, you know, make sure that what you're sharing, because what you're sharing, someone else is going to share. And honestly, that's what, I mean, let's face it, uh, that one documentary about the, uh, what the heck was the name of the company that basically changed and shifted elections because of the things they were putting on Facebook and how quickly it spread. And they were not truthful things, but that's, that, that can happen. It really can when you have that at your fingertips. We all have to be more responsible about that. Um, So I want to ask you too, um, we mentioned a little bit about, you know, uh, politics and, and the folks listening. So you're active here in Northeastern Pennsylvania uh, with the Democrats. And we talked about this, which is great because I'm hoping to get a conversation with Keir, who is running for uh, state as attorney general. Is that the right word? She's running for attorney general. Yeah. Attorney general here. And I, hopefully I'll get her on the podcast, which would be phenomenal. Uh, tell me just a little bit about personally why you're involved uh, in, in politics and, and the Democratic Party and what you, what that means to you, especially as we have to realize that the elections are coming up and April is the primary. And then, of course, November, it's a very big year. So, yes, I'll be shutting my TV off because I can't stand seeing those ads and hearing a certain politician speaking <laughs> too much. But tell me, uh, you know, why you got involved in, and what your activism is about. Sure. So, you know, it's interesting. I I. I remember, you know, years ago here in our locality, we have a a county prison and there was a a woman um, who delivered a baby on the floor of her cell. So um, she was calling for help. She would, you know, she did, she did not receive the care that she needed. So this is many, many years ago. I want to say it might've even been, you know, in the 2000s, not even the 2010s. So I think that that's where it started for me locally. Um, at that point, at that time, we had a county commissioner race coming up. And some of the things that the county, com- the existing county commissioners were saying about that incident were so unsettling to me. Um, basically, the scenario was that this woman had a nurse on staff in the hospital. Nope, a nurse on staff in the in the prison and who was not at the woman's bedside. And they just kept her for their, oh, the nurse was there. No, that isn't actually what happened. So it was it was kind of in the name of patient advocacy that I started, you know, paying attention. I also think, you know, when, when 9-11 happened, I, I, my, my kids were babies. My, I had, th- I was a good Irish Catholic girl. I had three kids in three and a half years and um, was busy watching, you know, SpongeBob every day, you know? So I, when, when 9-11 happened, I did not understand the history and the politics and, you know, everything that kind of went along with that. I think that that sparked my interest, but this particular incident in a, in a local county prison really, really, um, you know, made me start speaking up in, in the name of patient advocacy because what happened shouldn't have happened. So it started there. And let me stop for just a second. And it's just for the listeners. What what happened with that scenario? Oh, the the prison? Yes. Yeah, so um, there was a, a minority um, female uh, screaming for help. And I guess she had been in and out of the hospital a few times, you know, false labor happens to literally every single woman, like who's ever, you know, especially with your first, like you're not, you know, you don't know what's labor, what isn't. So they had taken her 
I guess to the hospital, maybe two days before it was false labor. So this time she was in full active labor, um, wadding up, you know, taking wads of toilet paper, dunking them in the toilet and throwing them at the camera so that somebody would come down to her, to her side. And so people did the, the COs were coming and they were checking on her at the prison side and, and, or at the, I'm sorry, at the, at the side of the cell, looking at her and, and just blowing her off saying, oh, it's false labor. And so, well, she ended up delivering an infant on the concrete floor of our prison. So that, that was really the story. Um, you know, it, to me, it, it was astounding that that would happen um, at that time. You know, I, I just believe that because I took care of um, inmates in, in hospitals that I had worked in, I did not ever really question the quality of the care that our inmates were receiving. Um, it disturbed me a lot. Um, and I got mouthy. <laughs> so, um, so I, I feel like my kind of outspokenness started there, but, uh, but through the years I've been, um, you know, I've, I've, I've found scenarios where I felt it was appropriate to, you know, get involved. So, uh, you know, I, I, I think I, I like worked the polls for a friend of mine who was running for a local office, you know, standing outside and but will you consider please voting for, you know, this candidate? And so I just had that opportunity just to try to be helpful um, for friends of mine. Uh, and then, um, then, then we, we moved out of Scranton. We moved to, to uh, the Abingtons. My, when my husband and I got married, it's my second marriage. We suddenly had four kids instead of three. So I needed an extra bedroom. We bought a, a five bedroom house in Glenburn. And when we moved up here, there was uh you know, I met a woman out standing outside the, the my new polling place. And she said, you know, can you write me in for a Democratic committee woman? Absolutely. She was the cutest thing. I loved her. And then when I went in, there was nobody for Democratic committee man. So I thought of my husband and I wrote him in. And two days later, he got a certified letter from the county saying he won an election. He's like, what did you do? So he literally won with one vote. And um, someone that we knew uh, was going to, uh, when when Sid Michaels passed away unexpectedly, um, he was a very beloved, you know, representative here in Northeastern Pennsylvania and filling his role was going to be, you know, a, a very daunting task for whoever wanted to step up for it. But there was uh, somebody that we knew that was interested in the role. And so she approached Jeff because he was the committee man and said, you know, how do I do this? What do I do? And so I helped her, um, you know, we helped her uh, kind of get that campaign going. She's done an amazing job since then. We're very proud of her. I'm very glad that we had the opportunity to create that opportunity, had the opportunity to create that, that, um, that possibility for her because she's, she's done such a good job. Um, but. And what's I, her name, Jen? I don't know. Oh, sure. So I'm going to brag about Bridget um, Malloy Kozarowski. She, she oh, okay. did an amazing job. Um, she's actually your rep. So love her. Um, and, and Jeff, you know, had a, a little bit of a role in that. I, I mostly worked, did all the work for him on the committee. <laughs> Because, as his proxy, because he, you know, I, I did kind of rope him into it. So um, I was happy to do the work and happy to, to represent him as his proxy for a lot of that stuff. But I, um, you know, that's, that's where I think the more active role came in. When she was running for office, we asked the Pennsylvania State Nurses Association for an endorsement. And that's how I got involved in the Pennsylvania State Nurses Association. And, and in the midst of that, you know, immediately gravitated to our government relations committee, Political Action Committee, um, legislative ambassador, and so that's kind of where it started. So, and and since then, I have been incredibly lucky to 
you know, host John Fetterman and Giselle in my backyard. Um, you know, I've been, I've been blessed to meet Joe Biden twice. Um, I've been, you know, really happy to do fundraisers and meet and greets in my home um, here in Glenburn for, you know, any Democratic candidate who, who feels, you know, that they'd like to come up and meet our friends. I'm active in Dalton for Democracy, which turned Dalton, you know, the, a very red area of um, Northeastern Pennsylvania turned it blue for two elections in a row. So um, these are, these are just small grassroots, you know, things that we can do to kind of change the world we live in. And, and I'm happy to be part of it. I, I love, I love what I do. So it's, it's fun for me. This is literally what I do for fun when I'm not working. <laughs> so That's awesome. I, I should say, uh, Sid, I knew years ago, we actually performed improv together. He was a lovely man. Oh, that's right. I forgot he did that. Yep. Yeah. He was a lovely man who passed away way too soon. Um, mm -hmm. yeah. Um, so those were big, big shoes to fill. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, so you mentioned you had John Fetterman in your backyard. That's pretty cool. Um, interesting. How is he doing now? I'll admit, I don't see as much because I know, and this is a whole <clears throat> different topic. We could probably go off on a separate episode when he talked about taking a little step back or a break because of his own mental health. And it's, so, I mean, of course there was ridiculing, there's nonsense. I mean, there are people who understood and there are people who didn't, um, but I actually have not seen him in the news that much, but um, maybe on the Democrat side, you've been hearing more about like, is he getting out there, you know, to, to campaign for other folks or what's going on with him? Um, and and I, I will tell you, it's funny, his wife, Giselle, it, like I began to consider her a friend. I just absolutely loved her. She's the sweetest, kindest woman. Um, she has disappeared from social media in the midst of the uh, Palestine-Israeli conflict um, has, has really, you know, John has taken a very, very firm pro-Israel stance and uh, and has lost a lot of his more progressive, younger followers in the midst of it. There's a, there's, there's a lot of uh, nuances to that conflict that, that are, you know, people my kid's age are, are seeing very differently than, than, you know, my husband has a, <clears throat> my husband has a, um, his family's Jewish. And so they, you know, it's very funny within my own home to see that I shouldn't say funny. I don't mean funny. I mean, it's very interesting to see in my own home, the two ends of, of, uh, of, you know, the arguments on either side of that conflict. It's, it's, um, so John has, has actually, you know, he, he kind of went in with this incredibly progressive, you know, agenda and platform and, you know, um, kind of base and, and has been, you know, they've been pulling away in the midst of that though, uh, Giselle has taken herself off social media. So I'm, it, and it's funny, it, you know, occasionally will text, like I just, I sent them a Christmas card, you know, I, I, I just love her. I think John has, um, is dealing with his own political, uh, you know, consequence right now. Um, hopefully, hopefully it can resolve because I, I, I'm, I'm very afraid that, you know, I listen to the things my kids say and my kids friends say, and, you know, and, and their friends on social media, you know, I'm very afraid for this coming election that, that we have these, this is a disengaged population. You know, they're not, they're not thinking of, you know, the reproductive rights or the fact that their gay friends, you know, marriages may be at risk or, you know, access to healthcare, insur health, health insurance, you know, things like that are, are really, um, they're really on the chopping block if, if we don't have Democrats elected. So, I, I really, you know, I hope and pray for many reasons. I hope and pray for a, a quick resolution to what's happening in in uh, 
in is between Israel and Palestine and and the Gaza Strip. And um, you know, I really hope that before the the general election that we can re-engage this population because those kids are they're very disappointed in, in a lot of a lot of what they're seeing. So and you know, it's interesting you say that because in the beginning, uh early when this started, the you know, everything was getting heating up. I remember that John Fetterman's name was that he was getting flack, but I it's interesting again, maybe I'm wrong. What I thought he was was posting support for Palestine and getting blowback. Um but yeah. but maybe it was the opposite that I, I just opposite. honestly yeah. it was a quick yeah. little, you know, blurb through quickly looking through social media. Um and and to that point, it's interesting because I can completely understand where, you know, their interests lie or where the uh, younger generation is thinking. But I think we go back to what's important with, you know, it is great to think globally and to put your heart into that. But where you live is where you live. And we like we do need to reengage them because otherwise, you know, if you if they don't vote, decisions are going to be made that they're not going to be happy with if they're not, you know, getting out there to vote. Yeah. 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 And, and like I said, I, 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 I love, I love that they're engaging. I love that they're protesting. I love that, you know, cause, th- cause that's democracy in action. And I'm glad you feel, you know, strongly about what you feel strongly about. And, and I'm so glad that people are advocating for, you know, uh, for vulnerable populations, you know, and, and, and when you look at that situation, it's very clear that there's a vulnerable population and, and, you know, they're, they're, it, it's terrible. It's absolutely terrible. And I'm, and I, but I also completely 100%, you know, our generation understands very much that, you know, nobody ever wants another whole, nobody, nobody, anti-Jewish sentiment is not something that's acceptable or palatable to, and, and I don't think that, I don't think that my kids' generation is is saying that. I think they're saying we don't treat anybody this way. But right. fortunately, it's it's not. It doesn't it doesn't translate. So in any in any case, I am worried for the for this election because I I think that the people that were so you know grassroots engaged you know registering people on college campuses you know all that all that stuff like that generation is a little bit like I'm not I'm not vote I'm not voting for Biden I'm not voting for you know. Casey, I'm not, but you like, you know what I mean? Like I'm not voting for Matt Cartwright. I'm not, but you know, I think that they're, I think that they see people as party to, to a situation that they're not comfortable with. And, um, you know, I begrudge them nothing. I just hope that, I hope that there's an opportunity to heal before the next election, because I, we cannot, we cannot do another 2016. We just can't, I can't, I can't watch that happen, you know? So I'll do everything on my part. And, uh, and I will, you know, if, if you feel like you need to talk to, you know, if you feel like, like I can help you maybe reach across the aisle and, and talk to, you know, some of these politicians, I'm happy to, to try to host something, you know, but, but I, I just don't want, I don't want us to end up where we were in 2016 and, and face four years of that nonsense again. Believe me, you're, <laughs> You're, you're the one of many, uh, that feel that way. Yes. Yeah, uh, yeah absolutely. Sure. Um, and, and it's yeah. interesting, you know, it is great. Uh, younger people are engaged and I, and I exactly your point of the thing is that no human deserves to be mistreated. Right. And I exactly. think that's where they're yeah. coming from, but I think, and I don't mean this to sound condescending. I think there's something that obviously comes with age too, where you go, yeah. okay, that sucks. But 
we keep, need to keep moving on because life will, whether we choose to to do something or not. Um, and so hopefully, like you said, hopefully they can get reengaged because, you know, while things are not happening, maybe that they want at the same time, you know, it, it, it can get, if they don't cast their vote, things are going to be decided for them basically. And that's, yeah. that's yeah. and then not just to kids, that's to any age person who's out there, who's like, you know, disgusted. Cause again, you know, I, I am a Democrat, but like I said, that's Biden would not be my first choice, you know, uh, as far as a candidate goes, I was a Hillary fan. Uh, I still love Hillary and, you know, it sucks yeah. that we live in an age where we're such a progressive, not progressive, but we're such a like big country that's like the quote unquote best, but yet we've yet to have a female leader. And that's and everybody because- else has. Yeah, I know. Seriously, everybody, you know, many countries. Know. And it's like, to me, that's, that just speaks to the misogyny and all kinds of crap that's in our country. But, but yeah, I mean, I, again, I, he's not my first choice, but I will absolutely give him my vote because I mean, like I said, a bowl of guacamole could run against Trump and I'd be like, yeah, let me get my chips out and start dipping. I mean, like, yeah, yeah I just, yeah, for so many reasons <laughs> anyway. Um, but yeah, I mean, anyone listening, not just kids, but anyone listening when you don't cast a vote or if you do something like, oh, I'm just going to write in, you know, Homer Simpson you're throwing votes away. You're not doing anything at that point. So I, if you have to look at it as a lesser of two evils, which I am, honestly, then that's what I'm doing. Cause you yeah. know, at least or think of it as voting against someone. You know, exactly. Yeah. You know, and, and even, even still, I'm not, you know, but we'll, we'll see what happens. I'm, I'm hoping, honestly, I really am hoping, I think that the, I think that the conflict is, is becoming obviously distasteful to a lot more people who had not considered that maybe that was, you know, the case. And, um, and I think that, I, I think that our support of, um, some of what's happening, um, is diminishing. You know, I think that, I think that we're, people are less apt to, um, support some of what, and, and honestly, to the credit of this generation that is like, listen, you know, look at this a little closer, you know, look at, look at what this, you know, and so, I, I mean, maybe I wouldn't have considered, you know, if I didn't have, you know, people my kids age saying no consider that consider that you know and who knows better than us right like what it's like to to bomb a whole nation because you know a terrorist cell is doing stuff inside of that country you know like like it doesn't end well you know like you know afghanistan was a disaster like iran uh, you know iraq was a disaster afghanistan was like we did not make that situation better making the entire country suffer for what a terrorist organization is doing you know, is, is akin to, you know, us picking on, you know, Alabama because the Proud Boys had a rally there. So, you know what I mean? Like, it's not, it, it's just, it just doesn't translate well. So I'm hoping that, I'm hoping that we can come to, to uh, maybe some resolve and a solution before, you know, before the Trump versus Biden election, which I'm yeah. sure we're facing in 20, in 2024. So, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, as we get to wrap up here, is there anything else that you wanted to say? So I I do want to, my hat is off to you. I do want to say, I admire you. And, you know, you said, oh, you're not interesting, but what you're doing is not, it's, it's, it's valuable. It's powerful. It's, it's wonderful because, you know, you, you were engaged when you saw a patient being mistreated and like, that's at your heart and it got you, you know, it lit a fire and here you are, you're hosting Fetterman, you've seen Biden and you've spoken, you know, you're, and not just seeing like, it's, Oh, that's a cool brush with whatever, but you're engaging people. You're, uh, you're utilizing your power and your ability 
and your knowledge to get people uh, elected who will do the, the right thing by people, you know, as far as healthcare goes. And I admire that because I bitch about a lot of things and I'm like, I, maybe I need to, to, to seek the pathways that are like, you know, I go out and I pick up litter because we have so much damn litter in Scranton. And I'm like, why are people doing this? But like getting involved more with the environmental group might be helpful to me. Like, so instead of bitching, what I want to say is we should do something. And that's what I feel that you've done. So I admire you and I want to say thank you. Um, but anything you'd want to say in closing that we didn't talk about, and it could be about anything that you just wanted to share. Well, I just wanted to share that this morning I plugged in your honor. <laughs> I've, Yay! Been, I've been looking at, um, you know, uh, we had recent uh, recent street project happening, uh, paving the streets and stuff. And some of the gentlemen who worked here, and I'm so grateful to them for fixing our roads, but, you know, they littered and I've been walking the dog looking at it. So this morning I took a bag and picked up the litter all around my neighborhood. Um, and, uh, and I just feel like I want to say the same to you. Like, I want to just thank you for having, um, number one, for doing what you do as far as laughter yoga. Um, I think you referenced the fact that you brought, you know, you brought laughter yoga to my team, um, in, in, uh, in the hospital and, and, you know, for as much as, you know, they were like, we're doing what at 6am, you know, what do you want to say? Like they ended up having, every single person had a smile on their face. Every single person had, you know, so we appreciate that. It, it was a, it was a moment we could, you know, kind of connect as a team and, and do something silly, you know, first thing in the morning and feel good about our day and walk away with a smile. And, and, um, you know, I love that you quoted, you know, some, some, uh, some actual, you know, we used evidence-based, you know, practice when we, when we were smiling, I appreciated that very much. And, and just also that you have this opportunity, this, you create this opportunity for people to talk about what it is that they do and, and maybe how to make the world a better place, you know, one little step at a time. You know, I, I love the, the, you know, think globally, act locally. Like I've a hundred percent done that my entire, you know, my entire adult life. I've tried to think about how it is that I can make a difference in my community. And, and, you know, hopefully that is something that spreads, you know? So um, I appreciate very much that you're creating an opportunity for people to talk about how to make that happen in their community. So my hat's right back off to you, lady. Okay. We're both hatless at this point. Okay. Yeah. Right. No one wants that. Well, thank you. And I should mention, cause Jen brought it up. So real quick, just cause it's near and dear to my heart. Plogging is a Swedish term or practice in which they go out and you could say, you don't have to jog, but you could walk, run, do you're just outdoors doing something good for the environment, picking up litter. Uh, it's been in the news a little bit more the past couple of years. I've seen it and I love the idea. And, you know, I mean, I do love my city, but every city, your home always has, there's, there's good and there's always going to be challenges and a lot of people litter. And I, I, you know, I grew up in a time when it's like, and, and my own parents values, what we were learned, like to me, it's a cardinal sin, almost close to murder. I don't know why, but it is. I'm like, how dare you? Cause I've, I've yelled at people who've thrown stuff right out their windows. I'm surprised I haven't been punched, but uh, it, to me, it's just near and dear to my heart. So if you can do that, you can make a big impact in your community. And you might think, cause I've had people tell me this, why, why bother? It's just going to keep getting more litter, but imagine maybe it's only an inch worth of litter instead of five inches. So it, it, I do care. I think it looks disgusting when, when there's all that litter. So if you can do that, and I think it's great to do maybe with your kids, it's a great thing to give back real simple, get some, get a bag or two. You don't have to spend an hour or two doing it, but if you're out for a walk out for a jog and you're not worried about your time, you're not training for a race. You stop along the way, you cover maybe a quarter of a mile or a mile and you pick up some stuff and it, it, you'll be amazed. It, it helps you uh, make the community look better 
and I'm sure you'll feel better about it too. So thank you so much, Jennifer, for joining me today. It's been an absolute pleasure. Uh, my listeners, we gave you a lot to think about and I, I hope you will do that. And Jen, you were on LinkedIn. Is that okay if people wanted to even give a shout out to you? Absolutely. Yep. I'd love to connect. Okay, great. And I'll put that in the show notes, Jennifer Graham Partika. Uh, in the next couple of weeks, I've got, uh, I'm so excited. I've been connected with a couple of different women actually to talk about, again, something I've been opening my mouth about a lot, perimenopause and menopause. We need to talk about women's health. So I've got some folks coming up with that. Uh, Megan Alpert, who has Joy Wealth Partner. So we're going to talk about wealth management and you know uh, the connection between happiness and money and all good stuff like that. So a lot of interesting guests, every single person I have on here, I believe is interesting. Every woman is fabulous that I've had on. So a lot of good reasons to listen in the weeks ahead. Uh, and as I always say, I thank you from the bottom of my heart and the bottom of my wine glass.